Good day, and welcome to Far Reaches Extra, or FRX as we call it. FRX is a chance for the gang to reach a little deeper with a one-on-one -on -one interview and discover people and topics that make this world worth living in. We hope you enjoy this random journey and feel free to send in your suggestions or even call us out to be on the next episode of Far Reaches Extra. All right, so I'm here with Jim Hyatt, Pete Osborne, my wife, Elena Bradbury, my son, Richard, and Michael Sullivan, who will be in the background. He might have to interject, I'm not sure. Now he's silent all of a sudden. But this is a Far Reaches Extra, and uh, I thought we would have a little conversation with Pete and Jim and Elena about the Bays Butte Wild Horse Train Facility and get a little bit of... Uh, Exposure for it and uh, spread the word a little bit. So Sunday morning in the almost famous, world famous Adel store, and uh, we're gonna have a little chat about wild horses. So I'll let Pete and Jim and Elena introduce themselves and uh, sort of give a little history on themselves and how they ended up working at the facility, and we'll go from there. Uh, Jim Hyatt, I'm the manager. Uh, how I started working there, they needed some help, and I said I would do it, and that's how I got there. <laughs> uh, I was kind of surprised myself, but anyway, been in uh, Warner Valley since 1984, and worked on several of the ranches here. That's kind of how I got here and got where I'm going. Uh, rode a few Mustangs before, uh, liked them. Pete, what do you... My name's Pete Osborne. I'm the head lawn dart. Um, <laughs> I, uh, oh, Jim needed some help, and I was looking for a different job, and so that's how I got here. I've just worked on a lot of different ranches, buckered around. That's about my history. Grew up in Lake County. My family's been here since the 1800s. All right. And just so we're all clear, Pete takes all the chances and I take all the credit. <laughs> yeah, Pete is the, the the face of our social media, usually. At least the so, voice. Yeah. Uh, I'm Alina Bradbury and I'm the social media director and I just came on about a year ago and just uh, they asked if I wanted to help with Facebook and Instagram and all that. So that's how I got to where I'm at with this. And um, Richard Bradbury brought us back to Lakeview. He's been all, he's been all over the place. And I'm from California, the better part of California. <laughs> so, and we uh, ended up adopting one of the baby horses. And that's Richard, yep. who uh, desperately wants to be. So let's talk about the where the facility is located. Talk a little bit about the community and uh, why it's sort of uh, probably could one of the only places that it really worked was it could have worked anywhere, but maybe why it worked here a little better than anywhere else. On that point, uh, it probably worked here better than anywhere else because all the ranchers needed those horses to off the desert. So there weren't so many out there. They were being overrun. They were uh, they were wrecking the water, trapped up the springs and stuff like that. So between the ranchers and uh, uh, 
lot of conservative groups, they put this whole deal together. And uh, the concept is, is that we'll train average probably 20 horses a year from Beatty Buttes, which will keep that at a manageable where their herd management is supposed to be without uh, big helicopter gathers and all that. So, and we're planning on doing a bait gather this fall, and we'll know how that works. And if it does, it saves uh, a lot of problems with how to gather them and, and uh, less stress on the horses and everything. And uh, that's pretty much how it came together. And with all, all the ranchers' help and all the support, it couldn't have got done with ranchers that donated land, ranchers that just helped make it work. Equipment. Equipment, yeah. But using their equipment for, for free. So. And they're, they're uh, yeah. Um, so the facility, you should check it out online. It's this beautiful green barn, right? Yeah, trying to remember the color that I drive by every day. Um, but it's all enclosed, and it's got this beautiful sort of horseshoe pin design uh, with sor sort of outside arenas and inside arenas. And um, <laughs> Richard's bound and determined to make as much background noise as possible. Wants to be center of But uh, anyways. And it was all really sort of all the so John Kiley was the guy that came up with it, and he's one of the local ranchers. And uh, he's sort of a unique individual, is that he sort of let everybody bring their particular talents to the making of it. And uh, it really turned out to be a really nice facility, and um, probably one of the nicest facilities in the county as far as for horses. Yeah, if not probably. the nicest. Yeah. Yeah, and, and when they designed the outside round pen, they put individual pens all the way around it, and it really works well because there's no corners for the horses. You can move them around easy and sort, and before they're gentle enough to touch and hold the brake without uh, without much stress on them at all. It really works better than anybody ever thought and uh, the guys who designed it did a did a great job for not quite knowing what it was going to do but it worked out better than they than they anticipated well it was mostly catlin martin and who else uh catlin and zach zach zach, zach, zach made it, yeah. yeah so yeah i'm always impressed when i see pete and jim working horses and how well it all works together and I think when people come to look at it, I think, do they ever comment on the design of it? Anybody knows anything about horses? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they understand. And Callum got the idea of the hens around the outside with the, oh, it's a six foot, probably, maybe eight foot uh, alley around the round pen, where you can actually work horses in that too instead of the round pen. But uh, from when he worked in Kentucky, what they called the shed row. And that's how they have it around the outside of the pens in their barns. So they can work inside in the winter, and it just works really well. So I, I think it's interesting to see where the some of the influence came from because there's people that live in the valley that go all over the country to do 
different stuff with horses and equine. And so maybe you could give a little bit of history about Catlin and uh, your family's, oh. all the people that have gone to Kentucky to work with the racehorses. Yeah. Frank and Jimmy. Frank was the first one, uh, Jimmy's husband, uh, started uh, racehorses in Kentucky. And I'm feeling really bad because I can't remember the, the stable's name. Uh, and then him and Jimmy got married, and they were they did it. And then Catlin's gone down, helped. Reed's gone down, helped. I've been down and saw the uh, the area they work in and stuff just for visiting. It's uh it's a different deal, but they took the same techniques that we're basically using for the Mustangs. I learned from Frank. And we've adjusted a little bit just because I'm not Frank and he does everything. <laughs> I mean, he's so good at it. So, But the basic techniques we, we do is the same ones they start those racehorses with. Uh, the only thing we have to do different, we have to get them all to broken so you can touch them. Uh, but the first time they're saddled is exactly how they're done, how they're moved around, and it really seems to work well. I should say that, like, so... Pete, uh, I did a video of Pete working with a, uh, what was the name of the horse you guys couldn't touch for so long? I get white horse. White? Oh, that uh, summer. Summer, yeah. Yeah, summer, anyways. Uh, I videoed him for like 17 minutes. Uh, we were really quiet, other than the horse and Pete, and me being a jackass photography and getting some shots, but uh, Pete worked with that horse for 17 minutes, and it's one of the most watched videos that I've done on YouTube. Right. And I, it just blows my mind every time I go look at the video count on it because there's no sound, there's no commentary, but people just, for some reason, just love watching it. So that's where I'll put a link to that in the podcast. But, uh, yeah, it's amazing to watch the time and patience these guys have with it. And, um, you can definitely see the end product. Like my wife's horse, Dusty, he, uh, he's always in your pocket, and uh, he's not, he has no fear of people whatsoever. I think, would you find that most of them go out of the way, or do you get some that just never... Uh, we, the older ones, they get gentle. Like, summer's to the point now we're sat on there, and, and uh, you can just walk up to her outside and catch her. Uh, the older horses don't get that in-your-pocket thing. They're kind of like, okay, go ahead and touch me, but you're not my real close friend. <laughs> and which is, for some people, that's... They don't want their horse walking into them all the time. They yeah. like that more personal space. And uh, they, we did another one. Uh, April was the same way. She got real gentle. And we adopted her right away. But she would not come up to the fence and stuff. But when you walked out to catch her, she'd stand and let you catch her. Uh, it's, it's interesting how they evolve. And kind of a little background how we get them gentle uh, when they first come we have a pen that they're kind of out of the way we don't mess with them and then when we're ready we'll sort one off out of that pen and it's kind of whoever comes we don't really pick which one we want and then we let them run with the real gentle horses for probably a week just let them watch them us interacting with the other horses and you can just see them calming down like this is not that bad and then we'll uh, halter them and start them in the round pen, start them to lead. Uh, for first few days after that, what, maybe three or four days, Pete, they have to, we have 25-foot lead rope that they just tow around. 
in about three days, they get so you can let that go and you can touch them with a halter on, leave the halter on them for what maybe another week, maybe even two weeks sometimes, but at least a week. Then uh, they got the point where you halt them when you catch them and stuff. And it's just there from that. Uh, we, we're not in a hurry. It's not like the trainers who've got 30 days to go from point A to point B. Uh, I would say on a horse that's a little bit not that gentle, you know, I mean, just not wanting to be, it would be three, four months working with them. Because summer, we've got to be on like our second or third month, second month for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we're just going to start riding it this week. So. That's a, that was a lot of, that's more invested than most horses get, wouldn't you say? Uh, most, like trainers, you know, I if I took my horse to a trainer and his halter broke, I'd want to be able to ride it in 30 days. For the most, most of them, um, you know, they, 60 days, depends on what you want done, but just be able to get around it. They would probably do it in 30 days, but we might take two months to do that. Just because we're not, we're not on time schedule. Uh, people from uh, Elena's uh, Facebook posts and all the stuff she does online, you know, on the internet stuff, uh, most every horse has got somebody who wants them. Sometimes before we even start, like June is uh, pretty much a hard case. I've got a guy that wants her as soon as, if she ever gets to the point where she's going to be gentle. Uh, so he's spoken for her and, and he can sure, but like I told him, we won't know. She's a little different. She's, uh, all the Mustangs I've been around had a pretty much self-preservation uh they don't want to hurt themselves just to get away. They'll take care. She's kind of suicidal. She just crashed into something to get away from me when she was. Now she stopped. But uh, so this guy probably doesn't want to be riding a horse that if something spooks, it'll just run through a fence or something. So it's gonna be interesting how she turns out. We're away. We're probably a couple weeks away from riding her. We just started saddling her. It was entertaining. I think Elaine will probably put the video on of her. First time saddled for another day or so. Um, so Pete, yes, this, uh, did you work? You never worked with wild horses before this. No, I rode one Mustang for a guy one time. Everything else was quarter horses or something that's of that sort. So, what's one thing that you learned about from wild horses or about wild horses that you didn't know before you started with the, the training facility? Uh, it amazes me how fast, once they start getting gentle, how fast they become gentle after that. It takes us longer to touch them than it does to start riding a lot of times. It's always amazed me. Once you get to ch touching them, and become, for the most part, calm right down pretty fast. And one of our main tools is grain. Uh, like I said, when we put, them, we put them out with our gentle horses first, they're out in the big pen, and then every morning we put grain in some tubs in the catch pen, and they come in and eat. And it takes the new horses three to four days to figure out that they can eat grain. Because if you try to feed it to them just on their own, they think you're trying to poison them. They think it's horrible. But they see the other horses eat, and then they start eating. And then before we even start working with them, when they... Just come in to get that grain without looking around and paying 
watching who's standing by the gate or they just want in that grain. And they're pretty much every time we work with them, before we start, they get a bite of grain, not maybe three, four cups. Nothing major. Just enough so they think that, okay, okay, if he touched me, we get grain. And then another thing, they have to be something done with them every day when they come in the catch pen. Whether it's just let you touch them, and mostly we'll put a halter on them and let them out. So they know they got to get haltered to get out of the get out of there. They just don't get to crash back out the gate because that's a real bad lesson for them if they figure they can just run through the gate. Anyway, go ahead. No. Oh, I don't have anything to add to that. So the interesting thing, like there, you have horse trailers, horse trainers that you people usually seek out or hire to train a horse that they have a predetermined notion for. But well, you guys are sort of flipped around as you're just training horses. You don't know who it's going to go to. No. And a huge person, because of the how wild horses are sort of a hotly contested um, item in the West, your job is as much trainers and PR and public relations and dealing with and educating people. So what challenges and what rewards come with that part of your job? Well, I think that's one of the bigger rewards, and the biggest thing we've had is when Elena took over the the social media of informing people what's going on, because she's gotten some questions that were totally, I mean, like we were mean to them and we were doing all this stuff, and uh, she's been able to answer those questions. And, uh, but, yeah, the, the bad publicity, and then I think this has just been good. Uh, like the videos where they see us taking so much time, we're not just roping them and making yeah. them do stuff. Uh, and uh, the only thing we do do that kind of upsets some people is we teach them to be hobble. Yeah. And we've had some bad people that don't like that at all, but what they don't know is that Horses are actually more comfortable hobbled when you start, like when we're first putting the first saddle on them, and we're, uh, they learn to stand. And they can move. If they want to move, they can move. But uh, it's just, and then we don't do that all the time. Maybe the first week or so of saddling them. And as soon as they'll stand comfortable, we try to first start by unsaddling them without them being hobbled. And then pretty soon we saddle them being hobbled. And, it, uh, we start out when we first hobble them with, the, with an inch soft cotton rope because that's when they usually jerk the most and it doesn't you know, cut them or anything or hurt them. Then after they're comfortable with it, we use leather hobbles like everybody would. And out here where we live, if you're watching a hobble rope, you're pretty much in trouble because sometimes you need to get off and hobble them and have them just stand there. Uh, so it's just something my whole life that's what we've done and you know, just normal for all of us. So. I do. It makes me how many people think that Mustangs go to slaughter when they don't. Yeah, they, that's... It's, uh, it's against the law. No Mustang goes to slaughter. I don't know where people get this idea, but it is a, it's false. Yeah, the... 
the freeze brand on most I don't know how many people know this, but there's a freeze brand on the side of their neck. So left side, yep. Yeah, nobody would anybody that's in that particular business would never accept one of those anyway. Right. So that uh, I could get in some serious trouble for that. But I think that you guys see it and the people that drive because we're I like to say, or Leon Flick used to say, that we're the farthest town from any McDonald's in the United States. Probably. <laughs> and, and, and Walmart and all that. But people will actually drive here to the facility, not even wanting a horse, just to see what's just happening. To, yeah. Right. We get a lot of people that way. And and we, the, on our Facebook, we have people that are all over different states, and they, they try to make a lot of effort to come here and... And see the horses. Yeah, it's incredible. Oh, while you're talking, why we're, we're talking about Facebook, one of the so I was unaware of this. Maybe you can give a history on the guy that won the wild horse. They have a competition. Can you fill yeah. in and all that? So, um, shoot, of course I can't think of what his name is right now. <laughs> Tom. No, it's a uh, yeah, Tom Hagwood. Yep. So um, he was one of the first to adopt one of the wild horses. Or mm-hmm. Jim, do you know a little bit more about it? No, I really don't okay. know much about that at all. So anyway, so um, he just, yeah, he competed and had this incredible horse that they uh, ended up selling for a lot of money, I think. But um, so anyways, he, yeah, he just kind of helped get this idea started with adopting you know, wild horses out. And, um, I don't really know a whole lot, though, about well, was it, where, I, where you want to go with I thought it was a competition where you take a wild horse and you train it and then you show it with yeah, other yeah. wild horses. Exactly. Okay. Is that well, right? Is this the one with the, the fillies that they use? Yeah. That, yeah, this they one, yeah. go to Burns and uh, JW gets them and halter breaks them. So Burns is is one of the holding facilities in the West for wild horses. Yeah, it's the only one in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they and they the JW uh, halter breaks them. Last I heard, and then they go to Reno and they buy them, and then they come back the next year and show them. And it's uh, interesting watching. Yeah. I think there's pretty big prize money involved for winning that deal. And then the other thing is, do you want to give a shout out to your European? Yeah, we have a, a German group, and they are so a lot of the first horses from the Beatty, not from our facility, but from the Beatty Butte HMA. About 15 of them got adopted and were sent to Germany. And they did a similar, they call it the German makeover. And it's similar to what Tom Hagwood and others did here, where they train them and then they show them. But it's it's a big deal back there. Um, anyway, so we got connected with the, um, uh, I'll have to find his name, but he, uh, he helps inform the German population because some of them adopted those horses. And so he just keeps them updated and informed with, what's going on here in the United States. And um, we have a blog about him and his group that he created on our website. And a uh, neat guy. 
trying to think of what his name is, but I can't pull it up quick enough. That's all right. <laughs> um, let's talk about like so. From what I've seen, how many horses? How, how many horses have been adopted so far this year? Or oh, I bet totally it's close to sixty. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to talk about the type of people that adopt the horses, but I, the economics of it. So. For a horse to stay in a holding facility over its lifetime can be upwards to 80000 maybe more dollars. So by each of these 60 horses, you can do the math, but that's a considerable savings to the U.S. tax dollar. And people that desire horses can get horses, and especially those that want the uh, um, to help on the wild horse side of things. So... Can you speak to the type of people and what they want to use the horses for that you've adopted to so far? It's been all types from you guys where you use them on the ranch uh, to uh, people who just want a horse for their pasture. We've got a couple of those. And in the few ranches, we, one went to a ranch in California, down in Central. Uh, We've had some of the local guys adopt them, several of those, I mean, quite a few, actually. Local uh, cowboys have adopted them. And kind of what's interesting about that, a little bit off topic, is uh, the way it works. After you've adopted a horse and you've had it for a year, the BLM gives you a clearance, and it's now your horse, and you can do whatever you want with it except sell it for slaughter. And uh, there was... One of the horses that Zach started when he was managing, uh, the cowboy just sold it for eight thousand dollars. Oh wow! Uh, he's had them three or four years and done a lot of work with them, but uh, they're and a lot of people just want a Mustang, and that's probably ninety percent of it. And then there's that percentage of the cowboys that want a cheap horse. <laughs> So that reminds me of the, the the lady that the one of those one of the horses jumped over her fence, and she, or you know she ended up adopting that horse, and then they come out here. But she just has a ranch where they just have the horses there and they take care of them and ride them so often. But a lot of these people they just they just like to just have them and just care for them. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, you pack train some of them? Yes. Yeah. We had uh, four of them went to uh, uh, Colorado to an outfitter. Uh, and he specifically wanted short, under 15 hands, stout. And we had four of them when, they, when he called. And the four, is, and four number comes in, that's the most horses you can have uh, in your possession that haven't been cleared into your four horses in the process of being fulfilling their year of adoption. So he took his forehead and, and uh, they've done well. So. I was, uh, the first year or second year, we had a sale at the facility for the horses and uh, we ended up buying a couple of them. I don't know, two or three. Anyways, uh, so we let some of the kids in the valley ride them and uh, so 
the 30 days came up and we're like, hey, how are you doing on those horses? And, oh, yeah, we really like these horses. So uh, we just need a little more time with them. Can we keep using them? And uh, we've never seen them back since. So <laughs> 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 we were happy to support the community in multiple ways. But no, uh, and then we have Dusty and we were talking about in your pocket. Yes, uh, I'm sending them back so you guys can teach them personal space. <laughs> because... <laughs> Yeah, he likes to be right there, which is great. So, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, what do you? Let's uh, we could wrap up here in a second. But what do you, what do you see the greatest challenges going forward? Greatest opportunities and uh, outcomes that you'd like to see down the road. Um, for me, the greatest challenge we have is making sure we can gather the Beatty Butte horses. That was the mandate of this uh, facility. Before we wrap it up, let's stop and talk about what you guys are planning to do this winter and fall. Well, if it all comes together, we're uh, James Price, who is the local BLM uh, horse person that's in charge of the horses, we're going to set up a, a, a bait gather and try to take off 20 to 25 head uh, for us to have for the winter. So we have them, we'll just have to have them here. And then so people can see them, they'll be on the videos. And before we even start them, people can kind of know what we're dealing with. That's that's the goal, and I think it's I think it's gonna work. And that gather is gonna be just forty five miles out of yeah, out of yeah somewhere over on yeah. So and it's a real low stress, uh takes lots of time, doesn't it? I think it's I've never been part of it, but listening to James explain it. It's pretty time-consuming. You set up the, the trap, and you put the salt in it. That's the bait. And get them used to just moving in and out of it. And then you close one end, and then you get them used to coming in and not feeling trapped. And I have no idea how it works, but when you're ready, there's some kind of a trip line that puts us, trips the gate, and the gate closes on them when they go in for the salt, and they come and uh, take the ones we want from that. Like I said earlier, if we could do that every year, it's like not near the taxpayer money as a helicopter gathered, uh, not near as stressful for the horses in a solo key. And if we could just do it every year and get 20 to 30 head, uh, that, would, that would make that a sustainable horses on, on that HMA. Yeah, and that's a HMO. We talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but um, the especially at a time like this, it's incredibly dry. All the cattle are back. We're yep. no longer hauling water, so those horses are out on a very arid desert, high desert, very cold type of situation, and they're going to be struggling this summer. So, the greater the amount of numbers, the greater amount of resources they use. So, the object is to limit their impact on the natural resources and maintain a viable herd that isn't yeah um that are using the resources that are available to them rather than overtaxing the resources yeah they when they gathered them in 2015 they left if i understood right 100 and some head and now in five years, they're up to a little over, they're going to be crowding 250, I think, a little over over 200 anyway. And and the 100 to the 200 is the 
of where they want to keep that herd. So if we can gather this fall and next fall and every fall after that, we should be able to keep that within that under the 200. And so it's managed. I mean, not managed by what they do, but numbers, managed yeah. numbers. Anyways, go ahead back to my last question. I'm sorry. I just want to stop. I thought that was unique, and I think that that's just something that rolled out of this program because of different, many different things. But I think it speaks a lot to you guys is that they trust you to work with them to do that trap, and uh, that says a lot for the the program in itself. Yeah, you guys have developed that type of reputation that that's well. It's James has been such a big part of that. Uh, making everything work uh, like he does uh, approves the adoptions and stuff like that and one thing we do do a little different is I ask the people to send their adoption applications to me then I take them to James because if they go through just online the people who look at them then you have to have a lot of your krells have to be six feet tall you can't have any wire fences you can't well, by the time they leave our facility, they're a fence one pen that has wire, and they're used to it. And they don't need the six-foot fence because they're not afraid of you. Yeah. So James will – they got to have quality water, feed, and trailer. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you have to have. But James will look at it a little different light and go, okay, they might not have – they might have five-foot fences, not six-foot. That's okay. You know, and stuff like that. So it makes a – it makes it a little easier for people. What do you look forward to going into the future? Uh, the fact that we can keep Baby Butte gathered in the, in the numbers that the ranchers, that was why everybody got on board, because that was a promise. And if we can't do that, then we're not doing our job. And we've gotten a lot of horses from Burns that weren't Baby Butte horses, they're from other gathers, but still we're getting horses just for something to do. Yeah. Our preference is to do baby well, horses. Well, the preference would be to copy this uh, this type of facility and put it in places where they need to manage surge. I, I think they, I think it would work well in a lot of places. Because, uh, like you said, we're the furthest way from McDonald's, but people come. Uh, that doesn't seem to bother. You know, I've talked to them. Well, here we are. Well, we'll take a road trip and we'll stay over one lady spent two days with her and her daughters uh, just hanging out and enjoying it um, and we're willing to do that for anybody who wants to come uh, the more people come and visit the better off we are Pete what do you see for the future I just you know I think all the Mustangs in the West need to be managed a little better. If we can get our foot in the door and get this started off, help everybody in the long run. I think that's, that's the main goal here. Try and manage horses. We manage everything else. Deer, elk, antelope. Yeah. We might as well, you know, need to start managing that. I think it's interesting how many positive, um, creative ways people are coming up with managing wild horses. Like this program is very unique. Uh, the program that we talked about with uh, Tom Hagelin. 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 
And then I've seen a great documentary called 100 Miles that has um, Army vets, uh, our Army service, or military services vets that uh, sort of have a PST, PTSD. PTSD. I think they renamed it again. I'm not sure what it is called now. But uh, yeah, what an amazing relationship and uh, transformation for both the horse and the rider, and uh, just so many great opportunities just thinking outside the box of what we've traditionally done. I got to thinking when Jim said uh, how much different their program is and how long it takes. It, we've come a long way from the Misfits. Who was it, Rock Hudson and Marilyn Monroe? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Misfits? Yeah, which is only less than 80 miles from where we're at now. So, yeah. If you got one end of the spectrum and what everybody sometimes pictures when they see wild horses versus the other end of the spectrum, which Jim, what Jim and Pete do, yeah, we need to publicize what Jim and Pete are doing more. And then I was going to have Elena, but she's messing with Richard. Um, just, just one quick plug while we're waiting for Elena to do her mom stuff. Uh, we're going to have one horse for adoption and two horses that are just going to be a demonstration on how to start touching them at the at the Oregon Trail deal in in uh, Baker City. Oh, cool! On the twenty fourth of October. So uh, that'll be uh, well. It's kind of we're just going to be in their parking lot. Uh, the BLM people are going to be there, uh, and if you actually want to. Uh, Adopt the Mustang that they'll take care of you right there. All right. Okay, so we're going to get Elena to plug in how to get a hold of us and uh, um, just anything interesting that she's about the social media and what, what we got going on. All right, so um, yeah, the you know, we have email of just speedybutewildhorses at gmail.com and then uh, I think with um, just being able to share this unique program across the United States and a little bit what Richard was saying with how it brings, you know, we have vets that have come out and seen the horses and just how the different opportunities that this program can provide along with um, helping with the population sizes. So, um, yep, easiest way to get a hold of us really is Facebook. Um, you can email us. Um, I check it daily. And, Show and, off. <laughs> um, anyways, yep, and we're also on LinkedIn and Instagram, so it's pretty easy to find us. We're also on uh, YouTube, so I've been, um, a lot of people ask about the training videos, and so I try to put up training videos. <laughs> My son is competing for the mic yes. right now. So, anyways, uh, yeah. So it's been fun, and Pete and Jim are really, really great with getting these horses gentled and really set for, for really to do pretty much anything. Um, you know, once they're adopted, so it's a pretty neat program. All right. Anyways, thanks everybody for listening, and you got to hear all through this podcast a typical day in Adele, and we're now going to go back and finish it out. So appreciate it, and by any means, reach out and visit with anybody about wild horses, and um, thank you. Mm-hmm.